Welcome, you guys, and uh, if it's your first time here this morning, we just want to say welcome. My name's uh, T.D. Davis. My wife, Callie, uh, she's somewhere around here. Uh, uh, We're the pastors of this church, and we're just so excited that you're here. And you came on an amazing Sunday because we are starting our new year with a new series where we're going to be talking about um, this church. We're going to be talking about who we are as a family and kind of where we're going. So uh, we, we're starting a new series this morning called Family Matters, Family Matters. And the subtitle of it is uh, Where We've Come From and Where We're Going. And uh, just so you know, I don't know any of these people in these pictures. It's not like these are like our baby photos. So these are just like, it's, you know, I was like, how funny it would be. It's like someone in our congregation like, that's me, you know. Um, That'd be weird. Anyway, uh, so we're talking about family matters, where we've come from, where we're going. We're in a, it's such an exciting season. I just, honestly, I just believe this. 2018 is going to be a, a, just an incredible year for this church and where we are and where we're going to launch from and uh, where we've come from and where we're going. That, that phrase comes from the scriptures, but we've come from 65 years of rich history. This year, uh, this year we celebrated in October our 65th anniversary as a church. So Callie and I are just so thankful because we get to stand on the shoulders of 65 years of faithfulness, of people who have gone before us, and um, now we are here today. And, and it's kind of a little freaky of knowing, like, we are carrying the baton, um, and people have stewarded uh, 65 years so faithfully before us that we want to make sure that we do a good job. But that, that brings up the, the idea of where we're going. And here's what I know about 65 years of reflecting on our past, is that we are a church that has always pursued God's mission. Meaning this, we are a church and we will always be a church that wants to and desires to transform our city and impact our globe. Come on, somebody. We want to be a church that makes a difference in terms of the fact of why we even exist. Why are we even here? Why do we gather together? Why do we participate in this community thing called church? And, and as we begin, it brings up this idea of, of mission and method. And I've, I've mentioned this before probably in previous messages, but I think it's good to reiterate this. We cannot confuse the mission and the method. We have a mission that says we're going to transform our city, we're going to impact the world, but we cannot transform that with sometimes what we would call the methods. Let me give you an example. Five years ago today... Uh, or about five years ago, a company was basically synonymous with photography named Kodak. And it was about five years ago that they filed for bankruptcy. Kodak's mission was all about photography, right? When you think Kodak, when you think about uh, that brand, for those of you that remember that brand, and younger people aren't going to remember that brand because it doesn't exist anymore. You think photography, but they failed, and they, they filed for bankruptcy because they, they failed to effectively respond to this movement of digital photography. I remember the days where my mom would go to Costco, and she would actually pick up legitimate photos that were printed. Now, people still do that, but the common way people use photos, right? I just snap a picture on my phone. I have it digitally. And Kodak did not respond to this change. They didn't respond to the massive changes in their culture. And because they didn't respond, they don't exist anymore. How many of you guys know that churches are closing their doors in this day and age? Churches are starting to cease to exist. Kodak bet too much of its future on the past. They didn't change. They began to prioritize the way that they did things, thinking that they were superior, their methods over the mission, which was initially we were going to be a, a photography company. It's very interesting. Because a method 
is a current approach that helps you accomplish the mission. It's how you do what you do, right? It's how you actually do and accomplish the mission, but the mission in itself is why you exist. Methods are not sacred, but the mission is. The mission of of God to impact the world is sacred, but the methods and how we express and how how we do that need to change because culture changes. The world changes. The world looks like a different place even five years ago, a year ago. We live in such a fast-paced culture. So how will we respond as the church? And if we refuse to change the method, we have the opportunity to kill the mission. Just ask Kodak. They don't exist anymore. They cease to exist. So my heart today is that we would have a fire to understand that, man, we want to be people that pursue the mission. And I titled this morning's message, we're in part one of the series Family Matters. Um, We're going to be talking about our family goal. What I want to accomplish this morning is that we would be clear, we would be precise, we would understand what our goal is as a church and as a church family, right? And um, that goal kind of plays to this idea of how will we glorify God and how will we make disciples? Um, Because that's every church's mission, essentially, The Great Commandment and the Great Commission. These are two things that every church is called to do. So let's let's talk about that. Let's dive into the scriptures a little bit this morning. And first, we're going to be talking about that first one I mentioned, the Great Commandment. What is the Great Commandment? Let's remind ourselves in Matthew chapter 22. It says this. It says in verse 35, one of them, an expert in the law, tested him with this question. Teacher, which is the greatest commandment in the law? Jesus replied, love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your mind. This is the first and greatest commandment, and the second is like it, love your neighbor as yourself. All the law and the prophets hang on these two commandments. So just to summarize, to paraphrase, we're going to be people that love God and love people. As the church of Jesus, each and every person is called to this idea that we are people that passionately follow and love God, but we also love people as well. But before Jesus left the earth, he commissioned his church. So let's look at this. It's called the Great Commission. This is what what Jesus called his church to do, to partake of, to participate in. In Matthew 28, before Jesus ascends into the heavenly realm, he says this. He says, then Jesus came to them and said, all authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Therefore, go and make disciples of all nations baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit and teaching them to obey everything I have commanded you, and surely I am with you always to the very end of the age. Every single church is called to fulfill both the great commandment to love God, love people, and every church is also called to follow the great commission to make, to go and make disciples. But this morning, we're going to bring some, some clarity to this. Because the problem is, is that most churches have a kind of just general sense of what they're supposed to do, right? But this morning, we want to understand and define who we are. Clearly define and contextually crafted mission for us. Who are we? I put this question up on our, our slides this morning. This is a great question that we can ask ourselves as a church. 
what can we do better than 10,000 other churches? It's a good question to ask because I get it. Each and every church is called to a general sense to follow the great commandment, to follow the great commission, but who are we? Each church is called uniquely to a specific purpose. Every church can't do everything, right? So each has a unique role into how it fits into the body of the Christ body of Christ globally and how we're going to make an impact and how we're going to make an impact as a city. Love God, love people, make disciples isn't going to be enough in terms of the specifics of who we are and how we're going to accomplish the mission of God. Will Mancini, a guy who wrote a book uh, that I'd been reading, he says this, he says, imagine that we were excited to start a new restaurant and believed it had the potential to be a successful franchise. To get off the ground, we want to attract investors and a few talented people to join our ambitious dream. How successful do you think we would be if our mission were to make food and serve the community? You guessed it, not very. Why? The language of mission does nothing to differentiate us from the thousands of restaurants that already exist, nor does it guide our thinking, synergy, planning, and communication for practical next steps. We really need to decide whether we are a fast uh, food, casual Italian, or fine dining seafood, right? It's very interesting, right? What do we look like? There's a general sense in terms of the mission of who we are as a church, but who are we? What can we do that's better than 10,000 other churches? Because when we get in tune with that, we will be great, and we will continue to carry the baton of faithfulness that's existed for 65 years, but we'll bring new clarity and new vision to where we are going. So this morning, here's what we're after. What can we do better than 10,000 other churches? We're going to always follow the great commandment, the great commission, of course. We submit under Jesus' mission. But this morning, what is our great permission? What is the freedom that we have to live that God has created this congregation for this time, for this place, and called us to participate in and express in our unique setting. God has called us for such a time as this. So we're going to be venturing this morning into this process we've engaged in as a staff, and, a, and for some of you in the room engaged in a process, and we'll talk about some of the data later, in discovering what's called our kingdom concept. This idea that we are participants as followers of Jesus in his kingdom. So there's this idea of a kingdom concept that would define who are we? What is it? How do we glorify God and make disciples? What does that look like specifically for our church in this season as, as we move forward? And at the end of this, that's going to inform our family goal. What is our goal? What are we aiming for? If we're going to aim for anything, what is our strike zone? Who are we as a church saying, this is our very goal and what we're going to aim for. So this idea of the kingdom concept is up on the screen, and this comes from, from a book uh, called uh, Church Unique, uh, where it helps us discover who we are, once again, as a church, and what's our unique contribution and how we will glorify God and make disciples. So what Will Mancini in this book argues is that in order to discover this and understand this, um, there's an intersection of three circles in terms of our uniqueness as a church body. Uh, the first circle is this, our local predicament, meaning what are the unique needs and opportunities where God has placed us? I truly believe this, you guys. We are a church that exists in this neighborhood for a reason. That is specific, right? But there's also this general sense of we also are in this city for a reason. 
We also are in this vicinity. We are placed here once again for a specific purpose. Next circle, our collective potential. What are the unique resources and capabilities that God brings together in us? Who are we collectively on our best day? What's represented here? What are our strengths as a community? What do we do really well together? What things begin to kind of just rise up in us when we naturally participate or come together to accomplish a specific task? And then the last one is called apostolic esprit. What particular focus most energizes and animates our leadership? What pumps us up? What gives us passion? What gets us going? What are the things that we're like, man, I'm passionate about this. Man, I want to participate in this because it's something that I can't, I can't shake. It's a conviction that's deep and a passion that's deep within my heart. So what we did to kind of understand and collect data for the intersection of these circles, because once you find this out, the intersection of all three of these, these, these areas will help us develop what's called our kingdom concept. How will we glorify God and make disciples as a church? What does that look like uniquely for us? And the intersection of those three circles, we had to collect data. So what we chose to do over the past several months with our key leaders, with those who attended what we call our growth track process, we started handing out surveys that asked questions that were pertaining to this. Uh, some people got surveys. Um, I'm, uh, we tried to hand it out to as many people as we could in terms of people that were coming to our growth track, our small group leaders, our, our, our council, uh, our board, our financial board received them. And we just had questions that were on this, answering questions particular to each of the, every one of these sections. Not to mention for Callie and I, who showed up 18 months ago, right, um, on top of our vision and understanding of what do we see? What are we sensing? What are we feeling? We didn't want to just show up and just start, you know what I mean, just like, hey, we got to, no, like, it has to partner with what God is already doing. It has to honor, come on, the history of this church. It has to be in tune with where we've come from and, and where we're going, right? So we, so we ventured out to collect some data. So some of you in the room actually filled out these surveys and were like, this is God-awfully long, and these questions are really specific, um, but they helped us, Right? They helped us because uh, it, it helped us come and collect data and come to a conclusion. I just never want to be a leader that makes decisions in a vacuum. We're better when we make decisions as a community where people have more buy-in, when there's more community buy-in. So anyway, we're going to talk about this. We're going to talk about the data that we saw and the patterns that we saw and the themes that came out. Now, everybody has a particular opinion, but what we were really trying to press into was, hey, what was the opinion that, and the themes of the opinion that we saw because that's going to best represent us. So the first one, the local predicament. What are the unique needs and opportunities where God has placed us? Here's the bullet points of the big kind of picture themes that we saw and how people answered the questions. Um, some big opportunities and unique needs that we have. In Ponca City, we have, um, we have a lot of broken families. There's a drug problem in Ponca City. That's an opportunity. People say, well, I have a drug problem. That's an opportunity for the church to rise up. Come on, somebody to be the solution. You're going to be a complainer, you're going to be a contributor. We're going to be a church that contributes. So these, these needs identify a solution that we can participate in. Come on. Uh, single parents, a lot of single parents. You might be a single parent. We want to be a church that helps assist your life situation. Yearning for new industries and economic struggle. This was a big one. I talked about it previously. There's a, there's a little bit of in our city a, a savior commercial industry complex that we believe that there's going to be a big industry that's going to come and, like, save our city. Uh, we do not promise that that's going to happen. So, once again, this is an opportunity for the church to rise up, 
to transform our city, to transform our culture. Economic struggle is a big one that, that came up in these answers. And this, once again, this isn't just answers from me. This is answers from many of you, right? These were the themes that we saw. Diversity and division. There's a lot of diversity and division in our socioeconomics. Racially, I'll never forget, great day of service. We are serving somebody in our neighborhood across the street who was an African-American, and he pointed to his skin and said, would I be welcome at your church? And my heart broke. And I realized that there's, a, there's an issue. There's a division that exists. Once again, that creates an opportunity for us to be diverse because I feel like our church is best represented when it most looks like heaven, filled with every culture, filled with every tribe, filled with every tongue. Come on, somebody. Okay, so here we go. Um, a lot of political division as well. Things aren't as simple and clear-cut as they used to be. I think we learned that uh, in this election season, right? So we, there's, people have views, different viewpoints, but once again, an opportunity. The Bible is about unity. How do we bring people together that even uh, vehemently disagree on po- political issues, right? And we're going to always do our best to, to live out of our Christian convictions when it comes to politics, but people think differently. Christians are all over the place in terms of some of these things, which is, once again, a great opportunity for us to make the main things the plain things, right? Okay, here we go. And then last but not least, young people. Big, big opportunity, youth and kids. Big opportunity, been a huge opportunity for our church historically, which we've always helped with and participated in, but that's a big part in terms of our local predicament of where, we, where we're situated and for our city in general. So that's some of the themes that were kind of best represented in our local predicament. Does that sound accurate? Anybody? Anybody kind of in agreement in terms of some of those things? Yeah, like two of us, great. We're moving in the right direction. Yeah, okay. Got some head nods, right. Okay, hopefully this is like us, you know, because it was what people said, so hopefully people didn't lie. Uh, anyway, okay, moving on. Let's go to the next one. Next one. Um, also, I want to say this. In terms of the diversity and division, our church was planted um, by a man who had a heart to move to this city to reach uh, local native tribes. So that's in our DNA. So we are going to be a church, once again, that bridges the gap where there is disunity. We're going to be a church that is in our DNA, that is a heart beat of why our church was even planted in the first place. So that's a, that's a, that's a big part of a unique opportunity that we have that's been a part of who we are, so I'm, which is so exciting, right? Okay, let's move on to our collective potential. Uh, what are the re- unique resources and capabilities that God brings together in us? Here's, here's one thing people said. We are a divi- diverse group. Who are we as a church? People are like, I think we are one of the most diverse churches in the city in terms of race, in terms of age even, right? We, we, we are proud of the fact that, once again, heaven is represented in this congregation. And I pray that that would continue. Come on, somebody. Um, we are a people that are friendly and accepting. A lot of people had, like, questions about, hey, what was your experience as a person that went to this church? Uh, one of the big things is, like, hey, we have a friendly and accepting bunch. Awesome. You know what I mean? And then the last one, a lot of people just want to get their hands dirty and help. Like, we've got a lot of people that are just like, hey, like, I want to... I want to participate and, and move in the right direction, direction and help people, right? Um, and here's, here's, here's my interesting kind of thoughts on, on, on this one is I truly believe this. Um, the best resource the church could ever have is people, is bodies, that are people are breathing, right? Um, and it, it becomes the best resource when we have friendly people who want to help. Um, so we are in a very good spot in terms of our collective potential, right? Um, in terms of having people that want to help and people that aren't like have bad attitudes about helping, right? Um, so 
Let's, let's move on to apostolic esprit. Does this sound, well, actually, let's move back. Does this sound like us? Go back to the collective potential. Thank you, Tate. I'm just bossing him around back there. Um, everybody give Tate a high five after service. <laughs> doing a great job. <laughs> uh, anyway, uh, does this sound like us, our collective potential? Does this kind of, uh, some head nods, some hands in the air? Yes, okay. Some audible, yeah. Oh, we got some hands waving in the back. Okay, cool. Uh, great, let's move on. And last but not least, um, our apostolic esprit. What particular focus most energizes and animates our leadership? Um, here's what a lot of people responded with, and here's what I've noticed and observed as well. We are a people that get passionate in terms of our care for others. We want to care for people. We are a church that we want to meet practical needs. I love this one, the second one. Family is inspiring. A lot of people when filling out these surveys with this data that we collected said that family members were the ones that they most looked up to. I had a dad. I had a mom. I have a brother. I have an uncle. I have a cousin who I look up to who um, means, has the, it's like the most, that's, that person's my hero. Those are the types of people that are inspired, right? And then I love this one too. This is just thematically throughout the survey, division, hate, and judgment were despised. In terms of things, people were like, man, let's, let's, let's come against these things. The top three things were division, hate, and judgment. Once again, let's be a church that bridges the gap in terms of our differences in terms of people and the differences that exist in the disunity of who we are as we live, as people that are breathing on this earth, a passion for ours is like, we, we're not going to be those people. We're not going to be the ones that are the judgment people, the ones that hate other people. We're not going to be ones that breed division, but we're going to be those that bring us together in unity. Um, once again, does this, does this feel or sound kind of like us? Uh, for those of you who've been, I know for first-timers, you're like, oh, I'm just taking it in. I'm drinking from the fire hose. Um, you're, in the, you're in the right seat right now. Um, you are. Because um, this is good, because this is where we're going, right, um, as well. So, um, yeah, so that's, that's last but not least. Okay, um, here's, here's what I will say. Let's, let's back up again. I'm sorry. Here's what I will say that's interesting about this. One thing that I saw that was missing from this um, was global missions, and that's not to say that we're not people that are going to impact the globe and people that are passionate about global missions. We will be a church that contributes in some way or another to global missions, but it was missing from people's passion. What people were passionate about was local missions, hands down. People were talking about locally how we can make a difference, what pumps them up, what gets them going, what people are passionate about is transforming where we're at. We will make a contribution to a global church and to what God's doing globally, but it's interesting to even sometimes see the things that aren't present in terms of what people are saying they're passionate about. So I, I, I took a note of that, and that's not necessarily a bad thing. That's just really telling of who we are and who we are on our best day, right? And then as a staff, we, we just, we'd been praying um, over the past several months, and we have a few just kind of phrases that we felt like came up uh, in terms of things that we heard from the Lord and kind of words or phrases that uh, were particular to uh, what we felt like God wanted to communicate and speak over our church, right? Uh, one of those phrases was increasing the value, that um, there's a little bit of a stinking thinking that exists in our culture and in our city that we just really feel like uh, what God's doing and what God's, God's stirring is to increase that value, to increase that vision. You know what one of the most amazing things about I feel like about this women's conference this weekend was? I feel like it helped burst our vision wide open for the women that attended and understanding that we can put something on that is excellent, but also something that's going to be life-changing for people. Um, 
it increased the value of our city, right? It increased the value of who we are. It increased the value of our community. I'm starting to see this, these types of things, and it's so exciting. Adoption is a big one. Man, one of the words that we feel like we heard more than any word is like adoption, this whole idea that, 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 that God adopts us into his kingdom. But this whole idea as well is that as a family, as a church family, um, there's an adoption process for those who maybe feel like they're on the outside. And how do they get on the inside, right? So adoption uh, became a big word. Um, another phrase, subject versus object. Um, this has been something that's been on my heart since we came to Ponca City, that um, it's so easy to step into a situation or into a role and, and treat people like the object. This is what you need. This is what work I'm going to do. So you need to eat it. You need to digest it. This is for you. This is what I'm doing, and you're going to do it too. But rather, it's helpful in life to treat things as the subject, saying, I'm not going to tell this what to do, but I'm going to actually allow this to be the subject and learn from it. And that requires something that sometimes Christians don't do very well. Listen, right? Listening. Sometimes we want to pray and just let out all our stuff. But how many of you guys know some of the most helpful times in prayer is when we just sit and listen and allow God to speak over us, right? So one of the big things for us is like, let's listen to our community. Let's not, let's not be super fast-paced in terms of like thinking we know everything. Let's like really just listen as a community and continue to listen from this point forward. Our community is going to change, so that means our methods are going to change, but as we listen, we'll identify and know what the needs are and how we can best faithfully fulfill those needs. Amen? And then lastly, uh, this, this idea of trading insecurity with confidence, understanding that however we feel, whatever we're insecure about, can become confidence. One of the things I'm seeing this manifest for a lot of Christians, and I've mentioned this before, is we see a lot of churches that are, have a lot of momentum right now, and some of the churches that um, aren't seeing a lot of momentum are very insecure in who they are and like to point fingers and say, well, you don't have the best doctrine, you don't have this, uh, your church does this wrong, this or that. All that is is an insecurity that's bred and magnified out of the fact that maybe everything in the momentum and the vision in that current church isn't going in the direction that they desired. But here's what I love. God has not designed us to be insecure about who we are. He has designed us to have a confidence, to know who we are in our best day, to know who we are in our personal lives, to understand if there's insecurities in our image of who we are, we were actually made and we are conforming into the image of Christ. Come on, somebody. That God is transforming us to rid of our insecurities and replace those things with confidence. That was a massive theme in this weekend for our, the women's conference, for the women that were there. Amazing, once again, to see these things that we felt like God spoke beginning to kind of like manifest and beginning to uh, move forward in the right direction. So these are things we heard. So, okay. Um, so here's what our job was after all this data, right? It's like, okay, now we have like the three circles. We have the, this big idea. It's like, okay, now as a staff, we're like, we need to come together and basically nail this down into the most specific phrase possible that honors the data and honors and says, okay, how will we glorify God and make disciples, right? That's, that's the question. How will PCC, how will Ponca City Church glorify God and my, make disciples? So we just labored over this, and we had meeting after meeting after meeting. We had, it was like once a month we were having three-hour meetings where we were just playing with the wording of like, this needs to be precise, 
This needs to be something that's concise. This needs to be something that is attractive when you hear it and understand that it actually talks and it feels us. It represents us best. It represents where we're going, right? So we labored, we labored, we labored, and we came up with a statement, and we're really excited about it. And anybody else excited to hear what the statement is and, and kind of how we're going to be moving forward? Okay, a few of us. Great. Um, that's all we need. We just need a few passionate people. Come on. Um, here we go. Let's roll it. How will, we, how will we do this? How will we a PCC glorify God and make disciples? Let's roll it. Here we go. Here we go. There we go. By adopting anyone into the genuine and active love of Jesus. Okay. It's great and all, but let's, we're going to break it down a little bit because I think what's underneath the surface here is like, some of you are like, oh, it's not a big deal. But this is good because, once again, it clarifies what are we aiming for and what, what's represented. And I want to kind of break down word for word how this represents us and how this connects to who we were historic or who we are historically and how we're going to move forward. So um, let's, let's look at this and let's break it down word for word. So that first word, adopt, which I mentioned, um, this whole idea of adopting. Um, I mentioned this a couple weeks ago, I think, in a, in a message, but um, the adoption process, if you've ever participated in this process, isn't an easy one. Um, it takes time. For a lot of people, this is, it creates heartache. It's a headache, right? This is a difficult process. And so for us as a church, understanding that there are people that don't consider to themselves to be a part of this family, we want to make sure that that process of adopting people into this family is a really, really simple and easy one. We want to make sure that that process looks so easy. Becoming a part of this family is just simple. Easy to jump from on the outside to feeling like you're a part of the family on the inside, right? And I love what James 1 27 says. It says, religion that God our Father accepts as pure and faultless is this, to look after orphans and widows in their distress and to keep oneself from being polluted by the world. You want to believe, man, you got to understand, like, this matters to God's heart. Those who feel like they're on the outside, those who feel like they're on the fringes, God is constantly pursuing people to pull them in, to have intimate relationship, and make them feel as a part of the family, right? And that's a big part and a value of who we are as a church. That's why it exists in our statement there. Next word, anyone. This is a big one. You can dress nice if you want at our church. I'm just going to say this. I'm going to preface it, but we are not a suit and tie type of church. And I don't say that to offend people that want to dress nice. No, that's great. I love it. I love the principle behind the fact that we bring our best before the Lord. That's, I love that principle. But what I mean by that and the heart behind that is we're never going to be a country club type of church, one where people who are on the outside don't feel like they'll ever belong on the inside, which is not what we're going to do. It's not, not where we're going. We have a heart to reach anyone. If you are a breathing human being that exists in the vicinity of our church, we are after you. Come on, somebody. Anyone. Anyone, right? Jesus came as an ordinary guy who was approachable, touchable for anyone to be in relationship with him. That's just the truth of the gospel and who Jesus is, Right? Who is our church seeking to reach? Anyone. Because that is the heart of Jesus himself. John 3.16. It's like the verse, right? 
uh, of all verses, right? But I love what it says. What does it say? For God so loved the world that he gave his one and only son that whoever, anyone, anyone who believes in him shall not perish but have eternal life. That means anyone has an opportunity to hear the goodness of God who hasn't heard. And to respond to that message and understand there's a God who loves you, pursues you, and has a plan and a purpose for your life and wants to breathe new life into your life. This is the God that we worship, and anyone is a candidate for that. Anyone. Anyone can be a candidate for God's grace. Okay, let's keep moving. Adopting anyone into, we're going to lead people somewhere. Once again, we got to have a direction. we got to we got to push people in some sort of a direction, which is why leadership becomes very important. Leadership isn't a title. Leadership is when you look behind you, who's following you? In your life, when you look behind you, who is behind you? That means you're leading people. A lot of people think leadership is all about titles or this or that. No. We want to be people that when we move and we move forward, we understand, we look behind our shoulder, that there's people following us. And I love what 1 Corinthians says. It says in 11.1, follow my example as I follow Christ, the example of Christ. Paul says this to the Corinthian church. He says, I'm going to follow Jesus. Follow me as I do it. Paul looked behind him and he saw other people following him because he was, looked a lot like Jesus, right? Okay, let's keep moving. Adopting anyone into the genuine, genuine, I love this one. Um, Romans 12, 9 says, love must be sincere. Hate what is evil, cling to what is good. One of the things that upsets me and is a pet peeve of mine more than anything is fake Christians. It's going to be real with you right now. And we are not going to be a church that's filled with fake people. We are not. We are going to be genuine. We're going to be people that understand that life is a storm. Life happens. Life gets messy. And in the mess, God meets us there, and it takes genuine faith. It takes genuine life experience with God to understand that it's a battle. Sometimes it's a roller coaster. Sometimes it looks messy, but that's life. And Jesus came to be the most relatable God in human flesh, and that gospel is good news for each and every person. And the moment we become fake is the moment we distance ourselves from the realities of how God wants to get and intercept our lives on a personal level. We will not be a fake church. We will be genuine, and we will lead people into that genuineness as a church, right? Now, the flip side of that, the next word is active. We got to be people that don't just talk the talk talk about the things of Jesus, but we actually got to participate. We actually got to follow through. We actually got to be people that put the money where our mouth is, right? James chapter 2, verse 5, or verse 15, says, suppose a brother or sister is without clothes and daily food. If one of you says to them, go in peace, keep warm and well fed, that seems kind of like a Christianese, like, church phrase, right? Go in peace, be blessed, brother, you know? but does nothing about their physical needs, what good is it? In the same way, faith by itself, if it is not accompanied by action, is dead. We got to be people of movement. We got to be people of activity. And we not only got to be genuine people, but we actually got to follow through. And I love it because they kind of play on one another, right? We are going to be people of activity that don't just talk about what it means to follow Jesus, but we actually show people what that looks like genuine and active. Let's keep moving here. Love. Love is the greatest mark of following Jesus. 
It is. If we're going to lead people into anything, my hope is that on the other side of it, if you hang out in this community for a while, on the other side of it, you are a better lover of God and a better lover of people. A lot of people say, like, well, you know, I've heard this a lot before. Like, Pastor, I'm just like a really spiritual person. Like, I just really connect with God on a unique level, you know, like, like other people's, people don't. It's like, okay, well, well let's look at the, what the Bible kind of gives us in terms of an understanding of what spirituality really means, right? And I love it because we have two kind of main areas of the Scripture that talk about a, a kind of a, like a subset of, of spirit, of, of the Holy Spirit and the Holy Spirit kind of working in our lives. And one of them is the fruit of the Spirit, love, joy. Peace, forbearance, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control. But before the Apostle Paul even breaks down any of these nuances of what the fruit of the Spirit look like when they're working in our lives, he says this. He says, you, my brothers and sisters, were called to be free, but do not use your freedom to indulge in the flesh. Rather, serve one another humbly in love, for the entire law is fulfilled in keeping this one command. Love your neighbor as yourself. If you bite and devour each other, watch out or you will be destroyed by each other. So I say, walk by the Spirit and you will not gratify the desires of the flesh. The whole context of the fruit of the Spirit is the assumption of love. Hence why love comes first in the fruit of the Spirit. And here's what I mean by this. If we're going to produce any type of people that look like Jesus, love has to be the assumption. Well, I want to be a person that focuses on patience, you know what I mean? I want to be a person that is more self-controlled. But if you're not loving people and your life doesn't look like one that portrays love, leave that stuff behind because love is the assumption in the ways that we follow Christ, right? Love is the first, foremost assumption. And we want to get to all of the nitty-gritty things about, and then we just, we don't love people really well. Love is the bottom line. Love is the assumption when we follow Jesus. And then the gifts of the Spirit. The gifts of the Spirit are gifts that God's Spirit gives us, but I love it. In the main place in the Bible where gifts of the Spirit are talked about is in 1 Corinthians 12 through 14. And a lot of people are like, yeah, God's given me a prophetic gifting, or I've prayed for somebody before, and God's healed them. Miraculous healing. We believe at this church, come on, that God intercepts and puts his hand into the moments in our days and in our lives and can cause breakthrough to happen. And sometimes he allows us to be the vessels of those people. But once again, we can get into this mindset of what it means to be a spiritual guru. I'm the person who prays and, and people get healed. I'm the person that does this or that. 1 Corinthians 12 through 14, the Apostle Paul is addressing a church where things are out of control in terms of spiritually. So he confronts these things, and I love it. He talks about, in first, it's like a sandwich. Chapter 12 is the bread. Chapter 13 is the meat. Chapter 14 is the bread. Chapter 12 talks about spiritual gifts. Chapter 14, the other side of the bread, talks about spiritual gifts. But chapter 13 talks about love. Talks about love being the meat of this spiritual gift sandwich. And I don't have the, screen, or the verse up on the screen, but I'm going to read from 1 Corinthians chapter 13. It says, If I speak in the tongues of men or of angels, but do not have love, I am only a resounding gong or clanging cymbal. If I have the gift of prophecy and can fathom all mysteries and all knowledge, and if I have the faith that can move mountains, but do not have love, I am nothing. You hear that language that Paul uses there? If I want to be the spiritual guru who does all these spiritual things, but love isn't in the equation, I am nothing. 
If I give all I possess to the poor and give over my body to hardship that I may boast, but do not have love, I gain nothing. Meaning this, you can be an empty doer of good. You can be a person disconnected with the resources of God's love by doing things for the wrong reasons. Empty type of activity without the assumption of God's love. If people are going to walk away from our church and saying, what do I want to look like on the other side of it? We're going to lead them into genuine and active love. Greater lovers of God and greater lovers of people because love is the assumption time and time again. And Jesus is love personified, which we're getting into, uh, which is next, of Jesus. 1 John 3.16, this is how we know what love is. Jesus Christ laid down his life for us, and we ought to lay down our lives for our brothers and sisters. We know what kind of love. Love is defined in a billion different ways in our culture, but I love it. The true north for us and how we're going to lead people is into the love of Jesus because he displayed it for us. He defined it for us. We know what perfect love is because when we understand that he was on the cross for us, he died for us. He made a way so that we can have relationship with God because of the sin problem that keeps us distant from God. He removed that. He became the perfect sacrifice. He became the perfect mediator. His blood covers us so that when we stand before the judgment seat, it's not about who we are and how good we are, but it's simply about the blood that covers us where God says, you are worthy because my son has covered you. We are lead people into that, leading people into that, that love. The love that doesn't remember sin. The love that forgives. The love that offers grace. The love that helps us understand who our teacher is. Adopting anyone into the genuine and active love of Jesus. Can I get an amen from anybody in the room? This is us. This is how we will glorify God and make disciples. And our identity is all wrapped up in this statement. And I love it because in the weeks to come, we're going to kind of further dis- define this, what this looks like and what this means. And it's going to kind of come unpacked out of um, some of this research we did. But the title of the message, I want to kind of go back to the top, is we had a family goal. Because this is kind of like how we're going to glorify God and make disciples, right? But like what's, what's, what's the goal? The title of the message was our family goal. So what is our family goal? If we glorify God and make disciples by adopting anyone into the genuine and active love of Jesus, then here's what our goal is. Our, our, our family goal will require us to adopt everyone into the genuine and active love of Jesus. Anyone and everyone. Anyone who's a breathing human being has purpose and they're a candidate for God's grace and we will not rest as a church until everyone is led into that active and genuine love. Come on, somebody. We will not close our doors. We will not have a passion until we continue pursuing this goal and this mission that expresses how we glorify God and how we make disciples. We want everybody. We're going after everybody. Wherever your vision is capped off right now, in terms of numbers of what we want to do and how we want to reach people, add a few more zeros to it because that's how God thinks about it. 
And that's the type of vision that we're going to have. We will not rest until we get everyone because everyone has a dignity as a human being created in God's image, as a candidate, is a candidate to receive and hear from God, have a relationship with a God who wants to speak over their life, give new vision for their life, and allow their lives to be filled with his grace, his promises, his pursuit, his passion, his love, and all that he is. Adopt everyone into the genuine and active love of Jesus. But why? Why is this our passion? This is our passion, and I truly believe this, the title of our series, because family matters. Family matters. What does family represent? It represents a tight-knit community. It represents the idea that Nobody was created on this earth to be alone. Hence why immediately in the creation story, that's declared and God sends Adam a helper. Hence why who God is and his character and who he is is father, son, spirit, a community. Hence why God has empowered a community called his church to be a family of God. To be people that understand that those who are alone, those who feel like they're on the fringes, those who maybe make their lives seem like they're filled with so much joy, But deep down inside, they're questioning the realities of the universe. They're questioning the realities of God. They're questioning with their life. They have a question mark in some of life's biggest questions. God's wanting to allow us to reach in and to bring those people into this community because family matters. I watched this TV show alone on the History Channel. Anybody ever seen this? It's basically like Survivor uh, where you're out in the wilderness. But the kind of the, the, the specific about it is... These guys go out, and they're alone, and they're trying to survive on their own. So the difference is, is like, they don't get to just be with, like, the other people that are on the island that are in this remote place, but they added this idea of loneliness to see how long people would survive. So they, they did it, and basically it was, like, like 10 people out in some remote area where they're, they're living alone in last man standing wins, and then they get, like, 500 grand or whatever. But it's interesting to watch this show and just to realize in our human nature, aside from food and not having food outside of just like survival techniques and and living really with having nothing, the biggest reason why people would quit because they missed family members. They missed relationships. They missed being with people. We were not created to be people that do or live life alone. And that is why family matters. And we are a family. And our goal is to adopt everyone into the genuine and active love of Jesus who's with me and who's with us as we move forward in that vision and that goal.